Hello and welcome to episode number seven of How We Got Here, a podcast between Nondoc Media and FKG Consulting. Uh, this is the first uh, a week or so after the legislature has adjourned, and uh, I think I speak for everybody in this room right now is saying we are excited. We've got a lot of folks at the room here um, making his return to the podcast from FKG is Alex Wentz. Alex? Hey. Thanks for having me. Uh, and we also have another returning guest, uh, Joe Dorman of the Oklahoma Institute for Child Advocacy. Always a pleasure to be here. Last time Joe was here, I think it was episode two or three, where we talked about gubernatorial candidates. Joe's a former gubernatorial candidate, but he currently is the head of the Oklahoma Institute of Child Advocacy, which is represented by FKG. And uh, we've, we've wanted to bring in some more guests now that we are through the session. And we've got one today who is a, a legend in our minds, maybe, maybe not uh, so much in hers, but uh, we have Ann Roberts, who uh, was went 10 years ago when I was at the legislature the first time as a reporter. Uh, Ann was the head of OICA and really did a lot of amazing things that uh, paved the way for, for Joe and, and other people to keep fighting for children's issues. Ann, welcome. Thanks for having me. This is not your first time in front of a, a microphone, is that right? <laughs> That's correct. Um, and you now, I guess we should say, you you now represent uh, Integris and do government affairs work for them. So you're up at the Capitol with everybody. Uh, you and I kind of joke that sometimes when, when all the oil and gas and wind energy lobbyists and everybody are all, you know, uh, just pounding the you know the table asking for senators and law and everything like that and you're just sort of sneaking around uh trying to get something passed for the health of oklahoma so absolutely uh, um well thank you for being here today um if you don't know we're all kind of laughing a little bit if you if you stick around on this episode we always we're trying to have more easter eggs kind of at the end and if you if you wait uh to the end of this episode Anne tells a story um about a, a bill that she was lobbying what year do you think that was probably maybe 95 or 1995 some, yeah, something okay very long ago and in it, it Anne shows off that she is a, a very well-known singer or at least in the <laughs> capital um and in other groups and she, not, she doesn't sing any opera for us on this episode but she gets a we get a little uh, a story of how she used that uh, to the benefit of i guess children right of course at, at the time so so that's kind of actually going to be the topic of, of this episode, uh, is uh, how children's issues in, in uh, Oklahoma have unfolded over the last 30 or 40 years. In, in many ways, I think the state has made a lot of progress, uh, but when you have a situation that's, you know, pretty bad, uh, nationally notably bad, um, you, you have a long way to go to, to make some improvements. And so when we were kind of chatting about this topic of how we were going to uh, talk about how we got here on children's issues and have Ann on. Uh, one of the first things w that came to mind was the the Terry D lawsuit, and I know we're going to talk about that. But I think before we started recording, you you said that you wanted to kind of take us back and set the stage for for how we got here on this issue. So we'll we'll give you the floor. Well, thanks. Um, I guess what I'd like to talk about is how we as a nation care about our kids, and I think we all take for granted that. You know, we all love our kids and we uh, hug and kiss on them all the time, but kids have not always been valued. Uh, when you think back to the origins of our nation, colonial times, um, it was poverty was rampant and some people actually sold their children to pay off their debts. Um, kids as young as seven were hired out to work in the mines or factories. Uh, and how they disciplined their children was nobody's business. Everything was sort of a private family affair. Uh, in fact, I, I always tell people, 
the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals was founded an entire decade before this, a similar organization wow. to protect children. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Then the Industrial Revolution happened, of course, and people flocked to the cities and very crowded, lots of crime. Um, so that abandoned and orphaned children, and then they even had this term called young hooligans, <laughs> were warehoused in these big places uh, with no concern for their safety or their health or education, certainly. So it was about you know the last of the 19th century, early 20th century, when we started paying more attention to, to kids and, and things started changing. Um, the first juvenile court was established in 1870 based on the recognition that children are different. They're developmentally different than adults and need to be treated differently. And then it was after World War II that uh, pediatricians started reporting their observations that childhood injuries uh, were being uh, found on children that were deliberate. And so they started creating uh, this movement about child advocacy, child abuse prevention, and the like. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, the 1967 landmark Supreme Court decision called N. Ray Galt uh, declared that juveniles accused of crimes um, should be afforded the same due process rights and protections as adults that are guaranteed under the Constitution. So children now have a right to an attorney, they have a right to remain silent, they have a right to a hearing. And of course this led in Oklahoma to the creation of the body of law that's called the Children's Code, uh, which lays out how we treat children in Oklahoma, or how we treat children in, in state custody. What title is that under? Is that Oh, Title 10. Title 10, I thought It's 10, so. 10A right. now. Right. <laughs> I was part of the task force that rewrote Title 10, and now it's 10A. <laughs> it's right. kind of in the weeds there. But frankly, we didn't do too well. And so that by 1978, you mentioned that the infamous Terry D. lawsuit was basically brought by um, three civil liberties groups about the conditions of the institutions that were housing children in state custody. Now that lawsuit, it, it wasn't just the conditions, but it was sort of a, a, there was a big fundamental issue, which was that the state of Oklahoma basically had a lot of regional facilities, large facilities, and in the same facility, sometimes even in the same dormitory or whatever it might be, you had children who were violent offenders, yep. who were teenagers who had violent records and had committed uh, sometimes very violent crimes, uh, who were in the same space in, of state custody as a child, maybe even much younger, who was there because they were the victim of child abuse from a parent. Exactly. And exactly. so was, am I correct in thinking that was the, one of the main issues that, that, that the lawsuit was looking absolutely. at? I don't want to dumb it yeah. down, but. No, absolutely. You had kids in there who, through no fault of their own, had been removed from their parents and placed so-called safe place, which turned out not to be. And uh, the Gannett Foundation then did this five-month investigative report called Oklahoma Shame, and they uncovered brutality, raping of children, shackling, hog-tying, just incredible brutality on children. Um, and it, was that, going back to Trace's point, was it brutality committed by state employees? Yep. Can, wow. Yeah. And, and other kids and it, yeah. a lot of different things, right? Well, when they, you know, you do the literature search about why this occurred, a lot of it had to do with the isolation of these, these uh, facilities because you had um, guards who didn't have any accountability and they sort of became part of the system of trauma 
that these kids were in. And so it was most of the state employees um, brutalizing children. So the lawsuit was, was Terry D. Uh, v. Raider, and Terry D. was the, I think it was an, the actual name of one of the, the children who uh, the mm-hmm. suit was filed uh, on the behalf of, and I think it was attorneys was from act, multiple yeah. states, a class action suit against many kids, or, or, or sorry, on behalf of many uh, children. Um, and that suit, you, you may, I, you have some awesome notes here, uh, obviously, that suit was filed in 1978. Uh, but but went on for two decades. It did. Um, it did. And I think Joe, uh, you have a board member at uh, OICA, which you guys just had your annual luncheon at the governor's mansion, um, who was a a member of the class on that suit. Is that correct? That's correct. There were seven original plaintiffs on that lawsuit. Seven teenagers who were in the system. Uh, Laura Choate was one of the first board members at OICA. And now in her 35th year, she's serving again as a board member. And she was the speaker at our luncheon and uh, shared some of her stories. And she's actually in the process of writing a book about what happened during that. And just the stories I've heard, it's, it's incredible. It's hard for me to believe that the system could be that bad just a short period ago. It's amazing how far we've come in a short period of time. A lot of that's thanks to Anne and the other advocates who were out there for years trying to get these changes in place. Yeah, so so can we, and, and I, you know, Anne, you're kind of driving this train in terms of how this conversation goes, but uh, take me through what happened in the, in the two decades of that suit being, uh, you know, active, uh, essentially. Well, um, as it worked through the process, our legislature stepped up in 1984, pardon me, uh, and made major revisions to the Children's Code. And one of the things that they did was create the Oklahoma Commission on Children and Youth, OCCY, which we always consider OICA and OCCY sister organizations. We both have the same, I suppose you call it watchdog uh, mentality. And uh, of course OCCY is the public arm and they have the authority to shut down bad actors. And OICA is the private arm and we have the ability to go to the Capitol and work with legislators to make positive changes for kids. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so those are, uh, I didn't realize that they were both kind of created at roughly the same time. So 35 years, help me do math. The old saying is that if you can't do math, you go into journalism. (laughs) And then if you can't do journalism, you write obits. But uh, so 35 years ago would be? 1983. 1983. And so that's when OICA was formed. Exactly. And, okay, and then about a year later, you're saying, is when? Mm-hmm. Um, OCCY. OCCY was formed. Okay, so keep going. Sorry. Well, some of the other uh, provisions of that piece of legislation were uh, things like that it forbade the use of adult jails for, t- for detaining young people, and it prohibited institutional placement of kiddos who were abused or in need of supervision. Um, in other words, you'll hear this phrase a lot, the least restrictive environment. So instead of sticking kids in these large congregate care facilities, they shut all those down in favor of community-based services. Right, I think there was one in Taft and mm-hmm. Pryor and- Bowley. Okay. Girlstown. So, so explain to us, what does a community-based service provider look like that? Is that a family? Is it a, a it smaller facility? It certainly can be. Uh, we have, I think, 42 youth services organizations. They're all over the, the, the state, and they provide counseling and services for kids and their families. Uh, to keep the kids close to their families instead of out in these rural areas where if you wanted to keep in touch with your child, you had to travel a long way. So they're very much better. And you're <laughs> saying essentially that that network 
didn't really exist. Right. Um, you were talking about 1984. I mean, that was the year that I was was born. So I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to look around the the, the table and, and uh, think about that. But I mean, this is you know I think a lot of our listeners and a lot of the public and especially you know people who are my age now becoming more um, connected with politics and trying to pay attention. Uh, you know, we, we sometimes focus on, oh, we're mad about this thing that's happening now. But, um, you know, there's a lot of times these big, serious issues take uh, have 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 a lot of background. Yeah. Um, and so what might seem like a small piece of legislation uh, that we're going to talk about later that passed this session um, is sort of a, a furtherance of a long decades long fight where people have spent their careers mm-hmm. um, trying to improve the lives of children in Oklahoma. Well, and back to your point about um, the kids being commingled so that you had offenders in with kids who'd been abused. So 10 years later, 1994, we pulled the responsibility for juveniles out of DHS and created the Office of Juvenile Affairs. And they are able to uh, provide specific treatment for kids. And in fact, um, they have a continuum of services now to try to keep kids from you know, penetrating deeper into the system and being uh, uh, detained more. And, you know, Steve Buck, the new director, not new, but a couple <laughs> of years now, right. um, he, he's fond of saying, I want you all to put me out of business. I want my kids to have such good services that we create a, a, a safe environment where they can thrive. Yeah, um, that would be that would be the, the dream. So, so we're kind of to 1994 when, when OJA is created. Uh, in 1996, OJA is dismissed from the lawsuit. Right. Uh, and then I think in 1998, um, DHS is dismissed from the suit, uh, even though there were still some things to work through. So kind of keep keep us moving forward on this. Oh, yes. Oh, wait, there's more. Oh, wait, yes. <laughs> well, um, I was actually on the DHS commission in 2010, and there was another federal lawsuit against DHS, and once again for how we were treating children in state custody. And they used the term re-traumatizing children in foster care by multiple placements, moving them around all the time. Um, And sometimes kids were abused again within the system, just like they were in the Terry D days. Uh, Some kids were even killed in foster care. And so I was was the privilege to be part of writing the Pinnacle Plan, which was a five-year improvement plan for DHS to correct all of that, um, hire more um, foster parents and do more training, do more child welfare, child protective services uh, workers, so that we can really dig in and make sure that we know what we're doing with regard to traumatized children. And that was uh, 2010 was mm-hmm. when you were on the commission, yeah. so that kind of went into effect. And I think the state puts out, a, if I'm not mistaken, a either monthly or quarterly. I think it's I, well, I, it's either monthly or quarterly. Um, maybe I'll embed it in the article that we, we put this podcast on, right? But um, report on how DHS is doing, meeting the goals and, and criteria of the, the Pinnacle Plan. Uh, I think there's been progress made, but maybe, Joe, you or Alex can, can speak to the, the difficulty that uh, an agency the size of DHS has when there are funding questions, when, when all state services are having to take uh, cuts. Um, 
I think that probably makes it more difficult to improve the system that we've been working on. It absolutely has been difficult, and I want to give credit where it's due. Uh, over the last several years, the legislature has held harmless many of the programs within DHS, especially child welfare services, or they've taken less cut than other state agencies. And we saw some gains this year. So the legislature took it very serious with what happened with the Pinnacle Plan over the last seven years. Uh, the work that Ann started, the things that have continued. Many of those legislators have termed out that worked on the Pinnacle Plan originally, but those who have been in there and remain have made certain that they have put what they could into it with the economy that we faced. Uh, we did see just a few months ago the first positive report coming from the feds showing that Oklahoma is starting to move forward and see better from that legislation. Yeah, I think you said something really interesting, which was that many of the lawmakers who were involved in in the Pinnacle Plan uh, creation in, in about eight years ago have termed out now with 12-year term limits. Um, you know, you're no longer in the legislature. Uh, you know, I think we're looking at more than a third uh, of, the, of the legislature is new as of the last two years currently. And then if we depending on what happens in June and November with elections, uh, we could have basically half or more than half of the legislature that has um, uh, been there under four years. Right. That, it was, it was a um, challenge when I served in the governor's office, Governor Fallon's office, we had that challenge with the Pinnacle Plan, uh, trying to re-educate new classes of, of lawmakers um, because they would see a large program and funding went up for it we or at least we hoped it did uh, or we're trying to get more funding for it and uh, we kind of just had to start over every couple of years and say hey this is a mandatory program uh, that came as a result of a lawsuit where you know massive instances of abuse and neglect were documented and uh, this is not optional we've, we've got to make this happen uh, so, yeah, turn, uh, turnover in the legislature is a big deal, and, and that's why it's important that the OICA is out there advocating for uh, kids and for this issue and funding and uh, implementation. Well, and perspective is always really important. I think that's one of the reasons we wanted to kind of start this podcast in the vein that we did with how we, we got here, um, whether it's uh, financial issues or whether it's uh, um, health care or whether it's uh, uh, child law. Uh, you know, these are not things that happened overnight. And, um, you know, the more awareness there is, I think the better prepared we are to kind of keep that conversation going fully because as you guys, so there's, uh, there's, there's registered lobbyists here. Whoa. Uh, you know, you guys, you're going to new classes of, uh, of, of lawmakers. And if they don't have a real full appreciation of not only uh, the Pinnacle Plan, but but the Terry D situation and how OGA Joe OJA came about and all that, it, it's probably hard to really get a grasp of what needs to be done. Case in point, uh, years ago when uh, a new class of legislators came in, and I had a pretty simple bill. I thought it, we were going to create a task force to study the various groups of at-risk kids, which included kids that were aging out of foster care and didn't have any place to go kids who were homeless, uh, kids whose parents were in jail, that sort of thing. But when I got up into the, to the committee to testify and said something about at-risk kids, one of these brand new legislators said, 
What do you mean at-risk kids? I mean, my kids think they're at-risk if I turn the TV off at 8 o'clock. And I just uh, sank. And he, he argued with me. He said, there's no such thing as homeless kids. I said, well, you know, you probably have a picture in your head of people living under bridges. But kiddos usually are what we call couch surfing. You know, they, their parents are deployed, mm-hmm. for instance. And so they're sleeping on your couch this week and on your neighbor's couch next week. Or they're sleeping in their cars eating at school, whatever. And so we have this body of kids that we need to address their needs. Absolutely. I, you know, I, uh, I've, I've coached uh, uh, an athletic program uh, in, in, a, in a public school for a few years recently. And, um, you know, I'll never forget when uh, some, some young, a, a young man uh, on, the, on the team uh, didn't show up one day and it turned out that he, he'd been sort of asked to move out by his mother um and just trying to work with him to connect him with youth services and some other resources um you know and that's the sort of thing where if you look at that situation and everything that led to it um and we're trying to look at grades and test scores and all these sorts of things if you have uh, a lack of stability in where you sleep in how you have enough money to you know, have a, a car, you have a job, you're working, you know, this young man was working till midnight, many nights, you know, on a job. Um, so, that, you know, I think that it's, it's really, I know I've learned more in the last, uh, you know, decade or so uh, since first meeting you about uh, the, the difficult situations that are out there. I think that, um, or, or let me ask you guys, do you think it's fair to say that Oklahoma has made some progress over the last 20 years or so? Absolutely. Joe, you want to take that? I would agree. And that's one of the projects Anne had under her administration that we've continued is the Kids Count research. And we've shown the progress. Uh, We were in the mid-40s in 2010, and we were at 36th this last year by national rankings. So we have made some progress. Now, part of that is other states have gone down. They haven't made the same progress that Oklahoma has, but we still have shown signs of improvement and again, going back to the Pinnacle Plan, that has shown success. Uh, Governor Fallon, one of the programs that she has worked in her administration in the last few years is to find more foster parents for families. And they've seen an increase of 1,000 families each year that they've worked on that. Those are positive signs that Oklahomans are stepping up and helping out and taking care of our youngest residents. Yeah. Um, well, th- those are you know small bits of, of good news that I think oftentimes get uh, lost in, in sort of a, a busy, hectic, 24-7 media schedule these days. Uh, so, Ann, did we kind of get forward to where you wanted to get to, or you have any sure. little more things to add? Well, then let's talk about what happened this legislative session. Um, well, I have to back up just a teeny oh, bit. okay. Yeah. <laughs> the reason this is so exciting is that way back in, well, way back, in 2006, when I was still at OICA, I came upon some research uh, about the impact of early trauma on a child. Uh, It was called ACEs, or Adverse Childhood Experiences. And, you know, we always think of diseases being caused by germs, like, you know, tuberculosis or whatever. But now, most of the sicknesses are based on our own behavior. And so this research was showing how our behavior um, can stem from trauma, so that if a child is abused, um, they may turn to alcohol or smoking or overeating or whatever 
which then in, that is what causes the disease. And so if we are able to intervene early in a child's life and reduce the trauma or prevent the trauma, the child has a better opportunity to be healthy later on. Or, or help uh, get access to treatment Absolutely. Um, you yeah. know, for uh, the trauma. You know, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I'm a certified mental health first aid instructor, and uh, it's a really, really positive thing I get to, to still do. And, uh, you know, that has really opened my eyes, you know, not only to just the, um, the, the, the scientific-backed uh, uh, program that, that mental health first aid is and the way that we can help people, uh, but it's also kind of made me uh, know a little bit more about how individual people deal with trauma that they may have, have experienced in the past. And it's not uncommon. Um, you know, we probably all know people who uh, dealt with a, a trauma, you know, either in adolescence or in their teenage years or college years, uh, whether that's a, a, a physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, you know, the loss of a loved one, you know, some, some, whatever it might be, uh, being the victim of a crime, witnessing a crime, um, you know, any of those types of things, being taken into state custody. Um, you know, those are traumatic events that many people only ever begin to unpack and get some therapy and counseling for 10, 20, 30 years down the road. And I can think of multiple people I know who are in their late 30s, early 40s, who are now finally going and getting uh, behavioral health treatment uh, for to deal with something that happened when they were much younger. And I don't mean finally as in they should have necessarily done it before, but it takes people a long time. We have the stigma of all this. People don't want to talk about these things. Um, so I'm, I, I think it would be very positive if we can make some efforts uh, to, to identify uh, children who experience adverse childhood experiences and uh, you know address that at a, at, a, at a better way how is this how how you, you said you were on a, a task force so so back to you where where, where did you uh, how did we get to this topic well again and it was 2006 when I started the research or I brought the research to Oklahoma we did a whole kids count book on adverse childhood experiences, which are not just things that happen to a child, like abuse, but things that happen around a child, like a parent going to prison or a parent with uh, mental health or substance abuse issues, whatever. Homelessness is a Homelessness. family. Well, but, it, but think about, you know, tornadoes and having, a, right. having your house ripped away from you. Um, those kinds of things. Or parents who are deployed, and we, we've been involved with wars, of course, since then. Um, but it never really took off uh, in Oklahoma uh, because the, the gentleman who started the, the project, he was a doctor, and he said, you know, as an internist, I only see the parent. I never see the children. And so the pediatrician doesn't talk to me. There's no method, methodology, there's no way for me to, to find out what's going on at the house, you know, how is the family? And so he wanted to be able to retrain physicians to uh, figure out what's going on in the household. Is there alcoholism? Is there domestic violence? Whatever. Because what he found was that, uh, this seems counterintuitive, but adverse childhood experiences are very common. And if you have one, you probably have more than one. So they happen in clusters. So that if you grow up in a household with alcoholism, there's probably other things, maybe domestic violence, maybe uh, incarceration, maybe poverty. poverty, 
all those kinds of things. So you put all that together, and a child has a very difficult time managing. And so uh, what I've been really excited about is over the years, um, the mental health field has created this trauma-informed care and the way that they treat children and, and adults um, to manage life. And it wasn't until this year when Joe was able to, the OICA was able to go to the legislature, and now they created some legislation. So. Yeah, tell us about tell us about that bill. It was Senate Bill fifteen seventeen. Fifteen seventeen. And I want to give credit where it's due. This was a collaborative effort. The Potts Family Foundation has been working the last couple of years to show the resilience film to bring more awareness with ACEs. Uh, back when I first took over ICA, OICA in twenty sixteen, uh, we had a keynote speaker for our fall forum cancel, and the replacement speaker that we brought in was Dr. Jennifer Hayes Grudo, who is the foremost expert, in my opinion, in research in a university working on ACEs right now. And her speech was just amazing with what she brought forth to the panel. And I had, of course, heard about this at the legislature in discussions with Ann, but it was layman's terms because as legislators, we were so bombarded with too many issues really to discuss and comprehend completely. So the more I learned about this as I was in the job doing research trying to be a good executive director, the more I realized this was something we needed to work on. And then Alex managed to help us get connected with the first gentleman, Wade Christensen, who had just attended a first spouses event in Wisconsin to look at trauma-informed care. So it all just fell together. In Milwaukee, there's that really excellent, uh, I think it's a charter school, isn't it? That's it. it. it, 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 60 Minutes had a wonderful piece. Uh, If you're you're also listening to this and reading it on Nondoc, I'll try to remember to link that in there. But 60 Minutes had a really interesting piece on that school, which was a charter school created specifically uh, for uh, trauma-experienced children. And so kids who have ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, uh, were not, in, in some schools and situations, uh, boy, those, those kids can cause difficulty because maybe they are more prone to an outburst or they're dealing with things that are, are difficult, their grades may suffer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and if we're working on test scores and all these things, it's really important to have you know, kids who, who can perform and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but this school was created in a way to bring those kids together and have um, some, some therapy and, and, and ongoing care as part of the curriculum uh, for how they, they operate. So that was in, so that no one, that must be why they had that in Wisconsin. That was the, the first lady of Wisconsin hosted the event, had the other spouses, uh, first spouses come in and see that. And it really uh, impacted Wade, and he came back here, and Alex set up a meeting. We visited about it. We asked uh, Representative Pat Ownby to file an interim study to look at adverse childhood experiences, and we were told by participants who had been in the room as lobbyists and people who had worked around the Capitol as one of the best interim studies they've ever heard. So that started the snowball where we managed to get A.J. Griffin and Carol Bush, a Senator Griffin, Representative Bush, to follow this legislation to create this task force to meet over a three-year period to bring in experts from state agencies and the public-private sector to make recommendations to the legislature and the state agencies on ways that we can try and overcome some of these ACEs. Oklahoma is number one in the nation for multiple adverse childhood experiences impacting kids. That in a long-term effect 
will drive up healthcare costs. It leads to a reduced longevity of life. It leads to increased poverty. The science and proof is there that these ACEs that impact kids, oftentimes, and you'll see it by zip code, and it is generational, it's hurting Oklahoma for future generations. And we're hoping this task force will have a significant impact to help us come to solutions and try and find answers to improve the well-being for kids and adults in the state of Oklahoma. Joe, why is Oklahoma a national leader in an unhappy national leader in adverse child experiences? I mean, is it, is it the our incarceration rates? Is it poverty? It, it's all of the above. It's a generational issue. And it's, I often tell the story or ask the question to crowds, can you tell me somebody that sets out to be a bad parent? Nobody wants to be a bad parent, but oftentimes they parent based on how they learned it from their own parents. Or, as Ann said, there are so many issues like homelessness that these kids are scarred at an early age, and they don't know how to overcome that and turn things around without help. We have a lot of great programs in the state of Oklahoma, like Parent Promise and other programs that will reach out and help families. But unfortunately, last year we saw tremendous budget cuts that eliminated a lot of those programs. So we're certainly going to work to restore funding to those programs that will reach out and help those families who are at risk and trying to turn things around. And the tremendous strides we made on criminal justice reform this year are going to make a difference. And people ask why a children's advocacy program cared about criminal justice reform. Those inmates are mothers and fathers are getting locked up. If we can get them out of prison treatment, if we can get them the health care, the mental health treatment they need, they're going to be better parents. If we keep those families unified, they're going to lead to better parents and these kids are going to be better adjusted and be better parents themselves someday. Well, it's funny. Um, in preparation for this conversation that we're having today, I looked in my uh, picture book and found an old article that I had written, an op-ed that I had written back in 2007 about uh, the impact of trauma on kids. And uh, I said, unfortunately, Oklahomans are well accustomed with trauma. Consider our recent history. Man-made disasters, the Oklahoma City bombing killed 168 people and wounded almost 900 others. And our Department of Mental Health served more than 5,000 children through their disaster services in the six years following that. And then think of all the natural disasters, the tornadoes, the horrible fires that we've just had that are really traumatic for kids out there. Um, and then trauma upon children that we've talked about. DHS reports that they receive 250 reports of suspected child abuse every day. That's one call every six minutes. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, domestic violence. You know, I'm, I happen to be chair of the Women's Coalition, and so domestic violence is top of mind for me. Uh, there was a 13-week period a few years ago in which domestic violence murder occurred each week. So think about the trauma for those children observing the, this horrible stuff between their parents. Um, and then we talked about the impact of war. Uh, and we have so many Army bases here, Navy bases, or not Navy, uh, uh, Air Force bases here. So we have a lot of folks who are deployed and then they come home and the kids are separated and there's this time of, of having to reacquaint yourself with your family. So we, we're, we're suffering. And so I'm really excited about a new focus or refocus on how do we deal with what's right in front of our faces, all the trauma that these kiddos are going through. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, let's kind of, I told you this goes fast, doesn't it? When, yeah. you're, when we're talking about something that's important and, uh, and also kind of complicated. Um, you know, somewhat of a, a, a tough topic. Um, but at the same time, I hope people consider sending this around to other folks so that they can get the background of how we got here in Oklahoma with this and also learn some of the positive things that are, that are happening um, in an attempt to make a better uh, state for, for children. Uh, as we kind of conclude here, I'd like to ask a final question. Uh, maybe if everybody could think of, of one thing that they'd like to see um, either lawmakers or the public or even you know other other entities within uh, our, our social sphere uh, focus on in trying to make a difference over the next year or so um, I'll just open it up to the floor anybody got one I got mine but I had but I knew I was gonna ask this question for like 20 well minutes, you'll so. think this is kind of silly but I truly believe this is really silly um, that air conditioning has caused a lot of trauma <laughs> and by that I mean we didn't have air conditioning growing up we sat on the porch in the summers and so we played outside all the neighbors knew each other we went back and forth you know from houses and then now that everybody has air conditioning nobody stays outside anymore and we are isolated from each other um, we don't know our neighbors I truly could not tell you the names of most of my neighbors um, and so I really wish I mean this is not nothing to do with legislation or government or anything that people would just get to know each other better in their communities and volunteer more um, we all know that uh, a relationship with a solid, decent adult is, can change a child's life. Absolutely. They need, they need really just one, at minimum, yeah. one positive relationship with an yeah. adult. And I think to your point of what that state lawmaker said years ago, and um, I think about I was very blessed to have you know, two, two very positive and active parents in my life. Uh, there are many kids out there who do not have That's that. That's right that one person, that one adult, uh, who's really able to make a big difference. Anybody else, what, uh, what would you like to see over the next year? Well, you both stole a little bit of my line. And, <laughs> and first, I want to just tell a quick story if I have time. Uh, when I was in high school, I was a class nerd, so I was bullied a little bit. And one of my classmates was, one of them in particular was pretty bad. He was one of the football stars, really popular. And it wasn't until later in life we ended up going to the same college and then got over all of our problems from high school. But he shared with me that his dad, who was a local businessman, former school board member, uh, well-known in the community, well-liked, was an alcoholic and abused him. And he transitioned that abuse that he was getting at home onto me and others. And you oftentimes will see that happen in schools, and no one is aware of that. Sometimes the most popular kids, the ones that have it the best, are the ones that are suffering in private. And so you need to be aware of what's going on. And if you have a suspected case of abuse or if there are issues, especially if a child comes to you and reports it, by law you are required to report that to DHS. So you have to share that information to try and help these kids. Yeah, Oklahoma is actually one of the strongest uh, mandatory reporting law states in the country. Other states will have uh, sometimes have an exemption for clergy. Uh, you know, faith organizations or faith leaders do not have to uh, report. And in Oklahoma, uh, even even uh, pastors and, and other faith leaders are required to report uh, to DHS. You can do that online. There's also a DHS hotline for that. 
Um, so I think that's you, your your kind of goal is that people perk up and 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 report if they suspect that something's going on uh, harming a child. Be more aware, and it's just like Ann said, get involved with your community. David Prater, district attorney in Oklahoma City, sums it up best. We have 800,000 kids in Oklahoma, roughly that number, who are under the age of 18, and we need an adult to step into the life of that child. So if we had 800,000 adults that would become actively involved in the life of a child, it could make a huge difference generationally. A lot of these kids just simply don't have an adult role model, and I think that would make a tremendous step forward if we got more people involved with the lives of kids in a positive way, and we would see better things happen. Great, Joe. Alex? Yeah, I'll talk about the politics of child well-being for a minute. I think it's important to remember, for listeners to remember, that legislators respond to political pressure. And I I don't mean that as a criticism. I just mean they uh, respond to articulated concerns uh, from their constituents. And, you know, teachers can organize. The energy industry can organize. There are lots of different pockets uh, of people and groups that effectively organize and make their voices heard at the Capitol and are effective at pushing uh, policy and legislators respond to that. There is no, uh, you know, there are no rallies for abused children. If you're uh, a 12-year-old homeless kid uh, or you're being abused or neglected, uh, you're not going to the Capitol to talk to your lawmaker. And so it's kind of incumbent on the rest of us uh, to make that a priority and to voice that to your lawmakers, because because no one else will do that uh, if if we as concerned adults don't. So that's why I think the OICA plays an essential role, and I think it's why people should you know go to their website, sign up for their news alerts. When you get them, actually you know click through, talk to your lawmakers, call them, email them, um, because that that's it. If if you're not doing it, no one is. That's I, I'm very happy. Alex is a part of our OICA team. Uh, Ann left things in a very good setting for OICA when she moved away from the organization onto greener pastures. Uh, it, it was truly a blessing to be able to come into this job, uh, the work that we're doing. And I'd say Ann and I had one of the hardest jobs in the state. We have to lobby and represent 800,000 Oklahomans who do not have the right to vote. Not a single one of them is 18 yet, so they can't vote. So we have to reach out and make that appeal on their behalf to get lawmakers to do the right thing for these kids. And I would encourage your listeners to go to OICA.org, and as Alex said, sign up for our newsletter, become active with our events, volunteer. We just had Child Advocacy Day, and we had two dozen people show up at the Capitol after the legislature had adjourned, still wanting to learn how to be better advocates. But we need more people getting involved, learning the process, and being a loud voice out there for kids. Wonderful. I, I guess my, my takeaway would be kind of brief is that um, I hope that anybody out there, um, a child or an adult uh, or an adult with, with a child, um, knows that there's no shame in seeking uh, mental health care. Um, there's, there's no shame in, in uh, seeking to, to have a better understanding of, of the maybe experiences someone has had. Um, and there's no shame that if you're a, a parent uh, and, and your child is dealing with something, um, it's not a reflection on you uh, necessarily. And uh, it's, it's not, uh, frankly, it shouldn't be a 
barrier toward a young person getting access to the health care they need. Uh, if your child had a foot problem, uh, we'd, we'd take them to a podiatrist and we wouldn't think twice about it. But sometimes we think of a young person, um, the idea of counseling or therapy or something like that, um, you know, that, that comes with a stigma. And so I hope we could all kind of break down that stigma as we move forward. Right. Okay, so uh, thank you for listening with us today. Um, thank you, Ann, for being here, Joe, uh, Alex, as always. And we're going to get out of here. Follow us on uh, uh, either on our Podbean or our Apple Podcasts or any of the – if you find a place that we're not listed, email us, and we'll get that podcast up there as well. But follow us, like us, review us, rate us, share us with your friends, and stick around right now as we hear Ann tell a little story, a funny story from her time uh, with OICA uh, and how she used her uh, fantastic voice to her benefit and the children's benefit. Start over. So back about 20 years ago when Bernice Kane and Sam Helton were still in the Senate, there was a bill that was very non-controversial, mom and apple pie kind of stuff, and it passed unanimously in the House. And being back in the day, we took it right over to the Senate to get voted on. And I thought, well, well, I'll go and watch, even though I'm sure it'll pass handily. Well, evidently, Bernice had offended Sam somehow and, like, voted against his bill or whatever. So I'm sitting there, and Sam starts going, rah, 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 to Bernice about this bill, and the bill dies. And I fly out of my chair, and I fly down to Sam's room, and I start screaming at him, and he's screaming back, and people are coming out of their, their offices going, what the heck? And I, he said, okay, okay, and if you'll just sing for me, I'll go change everything. So I got down on one knee. I got a crush on you, sweetie pie, all the day and night time. Hear me sigh, I never had the least notion that I could fall with so much devotion. And he said, okay, 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 fine. I wish I could <laughs> lobby like that. <laughs> It'd just be creepy if you did. Or cut yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. How We Got Here is a presentation of FKG Consulting in association with nondoc.com. Produced and edited by Bryce Holland. For more information, visit fkgconsulting.com and nondoc.com.